0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from His Word today.
1: All right, let's take our Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 as we continue our series on suffering as I read that list to you of all those who are in need, a lot of folks are suffering. I've entitled the message this morning, What Do You Do? Think about this. What do you do when you are distressed and completely overwhelmed by the trials that you find yourself in? What do you do? Here we're going to pull out an excerpt from the life of David. Verse 30. I'm going to read verse 1. Let me see. I'll, I'll just read till the Lord stops me here. How's that? Verse 1, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziglag, on the third day the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and smitten Ziglag, and burned it with fire. This is where David and his men uh, were living. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Did I give you the wrong passage? Well, what passage did I say? I didn't say. Well, you should know your Bible well enough. I mean, I've been pastoring you for almost 40 years and you don't even know where this account is from. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me start again. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag, this is where his men were living, and on the third day the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag, burned it with fire, and had taken the women captive, and were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city. And behold, they, re- they returned home from battle. Is what was happening. And behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and what? Wept. They wept. Now notice what the word of God says. Until they had no more power to weep. These are fighting men. These are tough men. These are rugged men. But when they came home and they saw their entire town was burned down, they had lost their homes, they had lost their wives, they had lost their children, they had lost all their belongings. These men, these were men's men. They wept to where they could not weep anymore. Now notice verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. What do you do when you... Find yourself in a place of being distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Now they turn on their leader. It's the leader's fault. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. But what do we do? When we're discouraged and just overwhelmed by the trials of life, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Heavenly Father, I pray you would bless the preaching of your word this morning as we see an unbelievable situation that's happened here to David and his men and the loss that they were experiencing and the distress that had come upon them to weep to where they couldn't weep anymore and then turn on David, their leader, wanting to stone him to death for what had happened Lord David knew what to do. He knew who to go to. And may we learn some valuable lessons today from the life of a man after God's own heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Throughout the Psalms, David talks quite frequently about being in a state of distress and feeling overwhelmed by the trials of life that he was experiencing. In Psalm 18, verse 6, he says this, In my distress I cried unto the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. In Psalm 61, in verse 2, David said, For the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In Psalm 102 and verse 1, David said, In a prayer of the afflicted, when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. In Psalms 118, verse 5 and verse 6, David said, And I called upon the Lord in my distress, And the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. So here was a man who faced distress. Here was a man who felt at various times of his life completely overwhelmed. And I'm sure all of you who have lived any amount of years have experienced that same thing in your life. I looked up the word distress. It means to be in anguish of body or mind, to suffer a painful situation, to face misfortune, affliction, and to be in complete misery. Have you ever been there? The synonyms for distress are affliction, agony, hurt, misery, pain, torment, torture, travail, tribulation. The word overwhelmed, to feel completely defeated, to pour down upon. Have you ever, isn't it something that when trials come, they all seem to come at one time? To be poured down upon, to be covered over, to be buried beneath. You just feel buried in the trials and sufferings of life. To dominate, to subdue because of excess to be overpowered, to be in distress, is to be so overwhelmed by these negative emotions, listen, that you can't think clearly. Have you been there? You just can't think clearly. And a lot of times we make a lot of really bad decisions in life when we find ourselves in a state of being distressed and overwhelmed. We feel crushed, we feel defeated, we feel destroyed, we feel overpowered. We feel like everything has come to ruin. We feel buried and, and, and submerged and swamped by the trials and sufferings of this present life. Remember the words of our Savior when he said this in John 16, verse 33. He said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have what? Peace, peace in the midst of a storm, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. As long as we live in this world, there will be times when we feel completely distressed and overwhelmed, but be of good cheer. I have, what church? I have overcome the world. Now remember, the reason we entered into this series on suffering is simply because I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to do it. I began to look at all the individuals and families in our church that were going through suffering. And the Lord just prompted me to search the Scriptures to see what they had to say. Because, listen, here's what I want to tell you. The Scriptures must develop our biblical view of life. And that applies to suffering as well. Again, this is not a popular message within our contemporary churches today that are focused on health, wealth, and prosperity. But it is the truth. Wisdom, this is what I want you to have. It's part of my ministry. is to impart to you the truth of the Word of God so you can become men and, wis- men and women of wisdom, which is simply seeing life from God's perspective. So we need to see trials. We need to see suffering. We need to see affliction. We need to see it from God's perspective. Did David need to see it from God's perspective? Absolutely. In our first message, you may remember that we entitled it, Looking Past the Present on Into the Future. Not having a temporal mindset, but an eternal mindset. In our second message, we talked about... The fact that we need to think right. Because I'll tell you what, Satan will scramble your brain when you're going through times of trial and suffering and adversity. We need to think right, cast down imaginations, take our thoughts captive. In that third message, we talked about ten reasons why God allows suffering to come into our lives. In the fourth message, we learned that when everything seems to be going wrong, remember, God is for you, He's not against you. In the fifth message, we learn that when all hope seems to be gone, never stop hoping. Remember what it said of Abraham? Who, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Well, that's one, two, three, four, five. Guess what today is? Oh, come on. You're smarter than that. Six. Message number six. What do you do when you're feeling greatly? That's what the Bible said he felt greatly distressed and overwhelmed. It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Let's let's do a little bit of the backstory, okay, to kind of catch us up to where we're at. We'll we'll pick up with uh, David going to battle against Goliath. Can we pick up there? Got a lot of scripture here. I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but just kind of let's just do a survey of David's life starting at this point. Remember that Jesse had how many sons? Had seven sons. Okay? He may have had eight sons if you include David in there. The Bible said he had seven sons. David was probably the eighth. He was the youngest of all of Jesse's sons. And you may remember how Samuel came and was seeking to anoint the next king of Israel. Starts with the oldest, works his way down to the youngest. And everyone, God said, what? No. God said, God said, God said. And then Samuel says, Jesse, don't you have any more sons? He said, oh, well, yeah, I got this really young son by the name of David. He's out taking care of the sheep. Well, go get him. God gets him, or Jesse gets him, and God said, that's the man. That's the man that will be the next king of Israel. Then you may remember how the brothers all went out to war and they're fighting against the Philistines. And this deal was made that they were going to send out their champion, and if Israel would just send out their champion, then both of their champions would fight against each other, and whoever won, just to save lives on both sides, whoever won, won, then that army would serve the other. And so who do the Philistines send out? Goliath, nine foot, six inches tall. And he stands with the Philistines behind him and Israel in front of him. He stands and he mocks the armies of the living God and they were trembled in fear. No one wanted to go out and fight this guy. It just so happened that that was the day that David showed up to see how his brothers were doing and to bring them some treats from home. And David is listening to all this and he's seeing all the men, including his brothers, his brothers, Fearful of this, and he said, who is this Who is this man that he would defy the armies of the living God? I'll go fight him. And his brothers make fun of him, and King Saul brings his armor. You know the story, right? David said, no. God will deliver that man into my hands today. He goes down to the river, he picks up Five smooth stones. Someone said, why did he pick up five smooth stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. He picks up five smooth stones. He goes out and stands before Goliath. Goliath breaks out laughing. And David said, you come to me with spears and staves. I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Today, God will deliver you into my hand. Ha, ha, ha. Then he goes up, Goliath's on the ground. The only, only place that he had unprotected, that stone hit right there. Takes Goliath's sword. You can just see it, can't you? <laughs> they lift the sword up and he chops off his head. You don't think the Bible's a cool book? I'll tell you what. And all the Philistines run and the armies of Israel go after them. David is then exalted by King Saul and put in charge of the entire army. He's just, he just in his, probably in his teens. And everybody loved him. David became a great warrior. He developed an amazing friendship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. Their hearts were knit together. They encouraged each other in the Lord. Jonathan was a very spiritual man. And so as David is going out now, leading the armies of Israel, he's winning battle after battle after battle after battle. When he comes back into the city, all the women are dancing and shouting and the music's playing and they're singing. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul is eaten up with jealousy. said, I'm going to kill that boy. And by the way, he had invited David to come live in his house. So one day when David was playing the harp for King Saul and ministering to him, King Saul took a javelin. Remember that? Throws it at David. David ducks, runs out. Jonathan tries to bring about a, a reconciliation between David and between his father, and tells his father, Dad, you're wrong. David loves you. He cares about you. He cares about the nation. He's not trying to overthrow you or do anything like that. Saul so said, Okay. But Saul continued to be eaten up with jealousy. And um, Saul had already made a decision that whoever would take care of Goliath would be able to marry his oldest daughter. But what Saul did is he gave his oldest daughter to another man instead of giving her to David and he marries off his youngest daughter by the name of Michael to David because he said this, she will be a snare to him. You see, you got to watch out for those youngest daughters. Yeah. She must have been a real stinker. So Saul gave her to David and said she's going to be a snare to him, but she wasn't. She really loved David. Jonathan then tries again to bring reconciliation. It doesn't work. Saul tries to kill David. Jonathan warns David, David, you're going to have to flee. You're going to have to get out of here. I can't turn Dad's heart. He is out to kill you. So David then flees for his life. He runs to Nob. He runs to Gath. Saul is pursuing him. I mean, hunting him down like a wild animal. He gets to Adullam and he finds a cave to hide out in. I've got to read this to you. While he was in this cave hiding out, listen to what happened. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they all went down thither to him. And everyone that was distressed, not the kind of people you want to hang around, everyone that was distressed, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, get, misery loves company gathered themselves unto David, and he became captain over them, and there were about four hundred men. Then David and his men, which were, became about six hundred men, arose and departed and went whithersoever they could go." So he goes from four hundred men, he goes to six hundred men, turns them into an amazing fighting force, and they are winning victory after victory after victory. Saul continues to pursue him. Remember how one time Saul had to go to the bathroom? And so he goes into this cave. A little privacy, you know. Goes into this cave to go to the bathroom, and it's dark in there. But who's hiding back in the cave? David and his 600 men. Saul has no idea that they're in there. Be careful where you go to the bathroom. Someone may be watching. And so Saul does his thing. And while he's doing his thing, he took his robe off and David goes and cuts the hem of his garment off. Saul walks back out, but doesn't realize what's happening, walks back out, walks a fur piece away and David comes out and he holds up. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. I will not do it. Saul's like, man, you're a better man than I am. I'm so sorry, David. It reminds me of people who come forward and make a commitment to the Lord and turn right around and change their mind. That's exactly what Saul did. But he repents and starts hunting down David again. Then we come to to David one, one evening, Saul and all his men are camped out and they're sound asleep. Remember how David sneaks into the camp? And right next to Saul, right where he was laying down, I would do this if I was younger, but now it's hard for me to get up. I might preach the rest of the message laying down. I remember watching my dad. You know, moan and groan when he got out of a car. Watching my dad when he's trying to put his shoes on. Dad. I'm dad now. (laughs) But Saul is sleeping. Everyone's sleeping. His spear is right here. I mean, just... I mean, he's got his spear by his head. He's got his cruise of water right there. And David sneaks in and takes his spear... And takes his cruise of water, goes up on the mountainside, and he calls to Saul. And Saul said, I know that. I know the voice. That's David's voice. And David shows him, I don't know how, maybe held up a torch. He said, here's your spear. Here's your cruise of water. And Saul looks, I will not touch God's anointed. I won't do it. So David has, that's, that's the backstory. So now David's got these 600 fighting men winning victory after victory after victory after victory for the nation of Israel. They come home from battle. What had happened? Can you tell me what happened? Their town is what? Their town is burnt to the ground. Their wives and their children and their possessions had been taken by the Amalekites. They're in trouble. All of his men now turn against him and begin to criticize him. I want to, I want to just kind of insert this. As much as you try to live a good life and a right life, people are always going to criticize you. If you can't handle criticism, get over it. Because people are going to criticize you no matter what decision you make. Criticism is a part in life. This is thankworthy. A man for conscience toward God endures grief. People are going to give you grief. Endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you are buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do well, like David was doing, when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. We're all going to experience criticism in our life, even though we're attempting to do what is right. Then I want you to think about this. Those who criticize. What is it about those who criticize? They have a prideful spirit. When you stand in criticism of someone else, you are manifesting a prideful prideful spirit, maybe a spirit much like Saul had, a spirit of jealousy. Do you think Saul was a happy person? No, he was eaten up with bitterness over... Matter of fact, this is what David said. What have I done? David hadn't done anything wrong whatsoever. But yet Saul was eaten up with jealousy over this. Now, none of us here can say that our situation is quite as bad as David's. No one is trying to kill us, as far as I know. We're not being threatened with physical harm, but we all will be criticized from time to time. Many people will be very prejudiced. Have you ever noticed that it's so wrong to be prejudiced against anyone and everyone except Christians. You notice that? You can be prejudiced against Christians. You can speak out against Christians. That's fine. Whether it's at school, college, work, even among your own relatives, you'll experience criticism for the cause of Christ. Sometimes this can become very discouraging, very disheartening. Many of us find ourselves being distressed because of our sons or our daughters or our family or our friends or maybe even a church member. When the storms of life, listen to me, church, this series is so important. When the storms of life beat so hard against us that we become discouraged and distressed and just overwhelmed. It could be because of a sickness. That'll beat you down. It could be because of a misunderstanding. Just can't be cleared up. It could be because of anger or bitterness or personal loss or financial pressure. And no, on no, no, and on, we could go in the list. But you just feel buried. What do you do? What can you do? We can do exactly what David did, encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. David's situation was awful, it was really beyond description. It's really hard even to believe that he had ministered to these men and for a time had their heart and now they're all wanting to kill him. David was greatly distressed, but here's the thing, he didn't stay in that condition. You may be greatly distressed today over whatever is going on in your life right now. I mean, where's that where's that list? Ruth Ann? Leukemia? Hospice care? Dee Dee, still on a ventilator. Mary, facing cancer. Larry facing brain cancer, terminal brain cancer. Russ in intensive care because of bleeding in the brain? That's just a few we mentioned this morning. How did David come out of this? He encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, how did he do that? I mean this is bad. This is bad. How in the world did he encourage himself in the Lord? You know what he had to do? He had to remember that the battle is the Lord's. Listen to what he said to Goliath all the way back. He said, and all this assembly shall know, he's talking to Goliath, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. David had to remember, this battle's not mine. When you're in a battle, remember the battle's not yours. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. He's the one that will bring you through this. He's the one that will give you the victory. When David remembered how the Lord had delivered him in the past... It encouraged him to know that God will deliver me now. And God will deliver you in the future as well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Remember Paul, if God be before us, what? Who can be against us? So David encouraged himself by remembering God's past deliverance Let me tell you this. Those of you who have walked with God as long as I've walked with God, and many of you here have walked with the Lord longer than I have, has the Lord ever failed you? Has he ever let you down? Has he ever not brought you through? So, what makes you think that he won't do it this time? David said, I will remember. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wondrous works. When you're feeling distressed and discouraged and overwhelmed, remember how many times the Lord has brought you through in the past. And it will encourage you in the present. Another thing that I see how David encouraged himself in the Lord is he went to the priest, Abathar. That's the next few verses coming up here. We won't take time to read them because about half of you are asleep right now. Shame on you. Get more rest on Saturday night. Maybe I should give out five-hour energies when we come in. Preacher, how do you keep your people awake? I give them five-hour energies before they go. Man, I could preach five hours if I did that. That's a good idea. That, that, That had to be from the Holy Spirit right there. I'd never come up with something like that. <laughs> David, David goes to Abathar and he says, Abathar, I want to borrow your prayer ephod. And the priest said, I'll go get the ephod. Have you ever seen the ephod? It's like a, a garment that goes over the breast and it had all the stones, 12 stones of the nation of Israel in that ephod. And David went and got that ephod. You know what he did? He got a hold of God. He remembered God's past victories. And if God did it then, God can do it now. And he goes to the Lord and he pray. What is Psalms? I know it's the song book of the nation and everything, but what is it? It's all prayer. Praying, 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 praying. Deliver me, O God, out of the hand of the wicked and out of the hand of the unrighteous. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And I will look up. Verily God hath heard me and hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God. Consider my trouble. Do you take your troubles to the Lord or do you take them to everybody else? You take your troubles to some psychologist or psychiatrist or do you take it to the Lord? Do you take your troubles to a bottle or do you take it to the Lord? Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me. Answer me speedily, Lord." I sought the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me from all of my fears. When David found himself distressed and overwhelmed, he knew what to do. Remember, the battle is the Lord's and go get the ephod. God doesn't want us to live in anxiety. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He told us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer. Prayer. And supplication with thanksgiving that your requests be made known unto God. Resist the devil by casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So David remembered the past. He got a hold of the ephod and then he encouraged himself and I'm going to close with this. Wow, it's only 12 o'clock and you guys are falling asleep already? You're a rough crowd today. David encouraged himself by realizing, listen, you got to get this. Every one of you got to get this doctrine of scripture down. He believed in the sovereignty of God. Many of God's people don't even know what that means. But the sovereignty of God simply means that God is in control. The Lord hath prepared His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all, David said. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in the earth and in the sea and in the deep places. What did David embrace? God did it in the past. He can do it in the future. Bring me the ephod. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to seek counsel from anyone else. I'm going to seek the Lord and what the Lord would have me to do. And I'm going to believe by faith that God is sovereign. God's in control. I love I love this statement made by David. If you don't get anything else this morning, get this right here. Psalm 31 verse 14. But I trust in thee, O Lord. I said thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. My times are in thy hand." You know what God was doing and all that he was allowing to go on in David's life? He was preparing David for the ministry of being the greatest king in the nation of Israel. You know why God is allowing some of these things to go on in your life right now? Because God is preparing you. And if you remember the goodness of God, how he's brought you through the past, Claim that for the future. Get the prayer ephod. Remember that God is sovereignly in control. God will do that perfecting work in your life. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or many different trials. Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Do we got any perfect people here yet? You know, the only thing that God says that he will use to perfect us is trials and suffering. Talked to Larry yesterday and Larry said these words to me. He said, Pastor, I know that I am in the refiner's fire. Being in the refiner's fire is not fun. Do all things really work together for good? Do they, yes or no? All things are not good. The death of a loved one is not good. Cancer is not good. Drug addiction is not good. War is not good. The division we have in our country is not good. The corruption that we've seen in our election is not good. COVID-19 is not good. Sickness is not good. Divorce is not good. But God has a way of working all things together for good to them that love Him. What an amazing God that we serve. Maybe this will help you understand. I'll call it the chemistry of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The chemistry of the gospel. By the way, a lot of you don't know, but I have a doctorate degree. Pastor Nono gave me a doctorate degree. So Dr. White is going to teach you something this morning. Everything in and of themselves is not good. But God can take things that aren't good and bring them together and make something very good out of it. He says that he will even bring beauty from ashes. In the same way, a chemist can can take chemicals that in and of themselves are deadly. Deadly. And I don't know how they do this or who figures all this out. But they can take these chemicals and they break that in and of themselves, not good. But they take these chemicals and with the wisdom God has given them, they combine these chemicals together and they make medicine that saves lives. God takes those things that look so bad and so horrible and in and of themselves are destructive and cause us to be distressed and to be overwhelmed. But God in His mercy and His love and His wisdom takes those, He brings them together and makes something that brings beautiful healing in our lives. Craig Davison has been around me for a long time. Great is my reward in heaven, I'll tell you that right now. Craig says the same thing. Remember when we went up north hunting years ago? Remember that Stevenson area? We were together for a whole week in a trailer. (laughs) Boy, did I grow spiritually during that week. (laughs) But I like salt. He was on a salt kick at that. Are you still on that salt kick? And I'm like, you know, I put salt on my food. I put salt on my food before I taste my food. How many put salt on their food before they? Hallelujah, we got some spiritual people in the church. Ye are the hallelujah salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, it is thenceforth, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to point right at you, good for nothing. So I'm pouring this salt all week. I mean, Craig is he just ragging on me about too much salt? Too much salt. Salt is made up, Doctor White. Actually, I found this in a book. Okay, is made up of sodium and chloride. Sodium and chloride are deadly. But you take sodium and chloride and you mix them together and you have salt. It flavors food. A certain amount of salt is necessary to life. We cannot live without a certain amount of salt in our system. Salt preserves. Salt cleans and heals. But you take the separate elements and it'll kill you. you see what I'm trying to say? God will take those things that look so bad, the sodium and the chloride, and He'll mix it together in your life. For those who love Him with all their heart, soul, and mind, He'll bring something beautiful from it. You may remember when, I'll close with this, When Jesus entered into the temple, he read from Isaiah chapter 61. This is the portion of scripture that he read. It's a messianic prophecy. And Jesus read these words. And then he closed the. We've probably read from a scroll. How do you close a scroll? I don't know. He rolled up the scroll. This is what he. This is the shortest message ever. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It would be upon the Messiah. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel, the chemistry of the gospel, to preach the gospel of good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to them that are bound, to comfort all that mourn, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he might be glorified. And then Jesus rolls them up, and he says this, this day, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I'm the one. I can heal the broken hearted. I can set the captives free. I can take those ashes in your life and I'll bring beauty out of them. I'll take those bad things and I'll bring them together for my glory and for your good. George Mueller said this, when everything in life seems to be going bad, encourage yourself in the Lord. Do this with the word of God and be assured if you walk with Him and look to Him and expect from Him, He will never fail you. So every head bowed in my.